So I was having a conversation with Catherine Tangaloa a couple of weeks ago, who is not feeling very well, by the way, so if you want to pray for her, that'll be great. Um, but anyway, we were talking about Whakapapa, uh, which is a kind of genealogy or, or where you come from, which is a very important concept. And I was thinking about what my Papa is, and I wanted to share that a little bit with you, but it's not my physical lineage, but rather my spiritual lineage. Where do I come from spiritually? How has God been impacting my life throughout the generations? So I just want to share that a little bit with you. You get to know me a little bit, uh, where I come from. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, so really I owe my faith uh, mainly to my mother and my father. Uh, my father also not feeling well today, so you can pray for him. Um, but uh, Mike and Heather Taylor, if you haven't met them, get to know them. They're fantastic people, and um, mostly because they produce me. I mean, that's <laughs> good work. Um, so they built a really strong Christian home, and they showed me and taught me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and that's really special to me, and that's where I kind of hail from. Uh, my father was an elder in Shaw Community Church. Some of you are familiar or came from Shaw Community Church. He was one of the first elders when we joined the church plant right back at the beginning, uh, 20 years ago, and he was helping lead that congregation. And I know he had a lot of influences in his life, but one important figure for him was a man named Ralph Gebby, who was his grandfather. I have a bit of an interesting connection with Ralph. I never met him, obviously, um, and I never knew much about him growing up, but I followed a very similar path to him um, without even knowing it. He went to Bible college in the United States from New Zealand. Um, in fact, he went to Bible college about two hours south of where I went to Bible college in the United States. And then he came back to New Zealand and went down to Christchurch and started a church in Christchurch about half an hour's drive away from where I started a church in Christchurch. And he did all of this almost exactly a hundred years before I did. So we followed a very similar path without ever knowing it, uh, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, Ralph's grandfather, James, came out from Scotland um, in 1849 as part of the immigration process there. So his faith, Ralph's faith, was passed down through those generations um, all the way from Scotland, uh, where he would have been part of the Church of Scotland. Um, the church in Scotland had been around in various forms for over a thousand years, passing that faith down from generation to generation. It was started in Scotland um, by a series of missionaries, including St. Columba, who came from Ireland to Scotland in the 500s. Um, Columbus is a very interesting figure. He was educated in Ireland in a monastery, several monasteries and churches there, and had a bit of an interesting, contentious history. He uh, got involved in a couple of conflicts which somehow ended up escalating to full-out military battles. I don't know how this happens. Um, back in the 500s, I guess that's just how you settle your differences. No rock, paper, scissors back then, so... They just went all out and there was many deaths and there was a big hoo-ha. And Columba felt so guilty about this. He vowed to God that he would save as many lives or as many souls he would save to the church as had died on the battlefield. 
And so in 563, got on a boat, headed off for Scotland and started one of the most important monasteries in Scottish history in Iona, this island of Iona. And from there, faith spread across Scotland. Now, Columba owes his faith to another man you may have heard of called St. Patrick. St. Patrick is kind of called the patron saint of Ireland and is responsible almost single-handedly for bringing Christianity to that country. Um, almost about 100 years before Columba, Patrick was kidnapped by Irish pirates. And he lived in England and he was taken over to Ireland and was forced to be a slave over there for six years before he escaped, came back to England, and then felt the call of God to return to Ireland, which would have been a very interesting conversation between him and God. And God said, go back and share Christ with these people. And he did. And he went to Ireland and had an amazing lifelong ministry there. Many people saved, many churches, many monasteries built, including the one that St. Columba was educated in. St. Patrick owes his own faith to his father and his grandfather, who were both heavily involved in the church. His father was a deacon. His grandfather was a priest in the church. And their Christianity really was attributed to, of all ironies, conquering Roman armies. So as Rome expanded out into Europe and the armies came and they, they would smash a people and then they would give them a Bible, which... Seems like an odd thing to do, but the British seemed to like it, so they went out and did that as well when they went colonializing. But anyway, that's another story for another time. But um, these Roman armies, they came and they set up churches in England. And St. Patrick was brought up in one of those churches. Now, Rome and armies brought Christianity because Christianity was the main religion in the emperor empire of Rome. And that's due to a man named Constantine. Constantine, around 300 AD, uh, allegedly had a dream um, that Jesus came to him and said, if you put my symbol on your shields, I will give you victory and you can become the emperor of Rome. And he did, and he did. And he became the emperor and became a Christian and brought Christianity and made it sort of like the center point of the Roman Empire, which is why the armies went out in the name of Jesus. Now, Constantine had a dream, but he also would have encountered the story of Jesus throughout Rome, as the church in Rome, which was small at the time, was kind of circulating the story around of Jesus. And he would have come in contact with that, or otherwise that dream would have made no sense to him. And so he would have come in contact with Christians and with the story of church, of, of Christianity, that was sort of simmering in Rome at the time. Now, the question of how Christianity came to Rome, the center of the universe as it was at the time. We don't really know for sure. Scholars are kind of up in debates about that. But one of the stories, one of the reasons or the ideas that may have happened was that there were a lot of Jews living in Rome at the time. And being good Jews, they would have traveled to Jerusalem at any time they could to participate in some of the festivals and some of the uh, important events in Jerusalem at the time. One of those would have been the Feast of Pentecost. And in the Bible, in the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, we hear the story of visitors of Rome, as well as other places around the world. They came to Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish festival, 
And instead, as they're walking through the streets, they hear this message, this sermon or this, this kind of speech about this guy Jesus. And the speech came from Peter and from these 12 disciples, including Peter, Peter, who were telling people about this man Jesus. So these visitors from Rome, they would have heard this message. The Bible says that thousands that day were saved, that became part of the church, that accepted Jesus as their own leader. And so they were, would have been part of that group, and then they would have traveled back to Rome with this amazing new message of hope. And they would have started their own communities and that's how the, the Christianity spread throughout Rome. So my story can be traced all the way back. In fact, all of our stories, if we dig deep enough and if we trace it back, all come back to this group of disciples who themselves had faith because they lived and walked and served with this man, Jesus, the Son of God. So it all comes right back to this point. And it all comes back to these 12 people and the impact that they had on the community around them. This is something I think Jesus knew. He knew that this was going to happen. He knew that these 12 were going to be the seed from which Christianity would spread to all over the world and to currently nearly 2 billion people on the planet. And so to prepare these 12 people and the others that would have been with them at the time, he wanted to gather them together and he wanted to really help them understand and help them really prepare for what was about to happen. And so in an upstairs room of someone's house, during another Jewish festival, the, Jewish, the festival of Passover, a feast, they all gathered together and over dinner, they talked. And Jesus explained to them what was going to happen. And he brought them together around this hope that they had. And he started preparing them and telling them about how to, to truly be the church. And he talked about how that they need to live close to his love. And we talked about this in, James, in John chapter 15 a couple of months ago. And then he told them how they need to love each other as a family, which we talked about last month. And then this month, he's giving us the final piece as we prepare for our church to get started next month. We're going to Weeklies next month. July 28th is when we're really kicking off and getting things going. And so this is our last sort of chance, just like Jesus had that last chance to get everyone together and prepare. We want to take this last chance to prepare ourselves for what God's about to do. And so we get to this verse, the verse that Emily read out. John 15, verse 16. And Jesus says, You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. So I just want to explore this verse a little bit together, unpack it just a little bit, see how this is going to prepare us for what our future holds. And I think it starts with that first verse, or a couple of verses there. You didn't choose me, Jesus says. I chose you. I don't know how many of you growing up were kind of like the last to be chosen for stuff, you know, like 
kids out on the playground, they're getting a, a game going. And I don't know, like me, I was the guy who was milling around the edge, hoping that someone would notice me and invite me into the game. And then when they didn't, I'd be like, so guys, can I play? And they'll be like, no. And, you know, I've got scars. Don't worry about me. But, you know, <laughs> so, you know, like they're, they're, they're kind of being chosen last feeling. That's what I love about this verse. I didn't have to go up to God. And I didn't have to ask him, can I please be a part of your family? I didn't have to ask him to be part of his kingdom. He came and found me. He knew who I was before I knew who he was, before I was even born. He knew me and he came after me. And he says, I want you on my team. I want you to be part of this. I'm excited about who you are. And this is the same for all of us. He knows who you are. He's excited about who you are. And he wants you on his team. You didn't choose him. He chose you. You have to accept him. That is still on you to accept or to reject him. But he chose you. He wants you to be on his team. I think that's a beautiful way to, to think about who we are and to think about our role that we play in the church and in the kingdom of God. And not only did he choose us, but he appointed us, which gives us this real sense of intentionality. You know, he's just like, all right, come on in. You can be part of the family now. Sit at the back and just try not to mess things up. You know, try not to get too loud and rowdy back there. No, he has a purpose. He appointed us for something. He wants us to do something. We have meaning. We have purpose in the lives that we lead because he's giving that to us. He's like, all right, now you're part of the team. I've got something for you to do. You know, it's not like I'll only love you if you do this. That's not the dynamic here. It's a, I love you, so I want you to do this. There's another verse um, in Ephesians. It's not going to be on the screen or anything, but Paul is talking about our purpose, and he says that we were created to do good works. That's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, by the way. He says, you were made to do good things for the kingdom. So he has appointed us to produce lasting fruit, to go and produce lasting fruit. I love this legacy aspect of lasting fruit. You know, like how often we run around desperately trying to make our mark in the world. You know, whether it's like make our mark with our career or, or in, in a hobby or a sport or something we kind of want to be known. We kind of want to just do something that matters, that's meaningful. You know, maybe it's, it's the promotion or it's the trophy or whatever it is. And we make our mark. But what kind of mark are we making? You know, how long is that impact going to last? You know, and we, we might be known for a few years or we might, you know, be for a generation. People will remember us for the thing that we did. Or if we're really good and we land in the history books, maybe a hundred years, people will still be talking about the things that we do. That's actually, no, that's pretty good, right? That's not what God wants for us. He might want that as well, but he wants us to make an eternal impact. He wants us to make a legacy that lasts so far beyond our life, so far beyond when they just stop writing history books to the end of eternity. And we do that through the lives that we impact. 
Think about the Whaka Papa that I shared with you. Think about the impact, the stories of people when they embraced this and they bore fruit. The fruit of their lives lasted throughout history. Maybe not everyone knows it, but the impact of what they did keeps spilling down from generation to generation to generation and will continue to do so. It's a lasting impact. And this fruit, of course, is changed lives. People sharing our faith, sharing our story with people so that they can become part of this kingdom, part of this family. And then they can share that with next generation and so on and so on as the kingdom grows, becomes deeper and becomes stronger throughout history. That is lasting fruit. And then Jesus ends with this interesting kind of concept here. He says, so the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. Now, I don't know about you, but this one trips me up a little bit. I, I struggle with this one a little bit because I've asked for stuff sometimes and I didn't get it, you know. I just don't have that Bugatti out in my driveway. I mean, I asked and I asked. I kid, but sometimes we ask for real things. Sometimes we feel like we're asking for a godly thing and it's still a no. So I want to, I don't have time this morning, but I want to take down the road, I want to unpack that and really wrestle with that with you. But for now, I think it gives us the sense that when we are aligned with who God is, when we are aligned with what He wants for this world, He wants us to ask and He will give us power to do the things He is calling us to do, which I think is, is, is great. It's exciting. But there's another word in this sentence. I think the most important word. If you had to kind of pick a word that it drives all of this. What do you think that word would be? What do you think is the most important word in here? There's a lot of really important words. There's no wrong answers necessarily, except though I've got the right answer. Choose is good. That's a good one. You chose, chose. <laughs> no, I think even more important than the, the choosing. I mean, we, using his name, very, very important. That's the power that comes behind this. But all of this spins and turns and pivots on an even smaller word. Go. Go. Yeah, you're wrong, by the way. <laughs> no, you're right. All of that's important. But I think what drives this verse forward is the word go. The word go changes this from a passive idea to an active mission. It is something that we do not just something that we be. I mean, we do. We, we are producing fruit just by having God in our lives that grows us stronger and deeper. And the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit that is bearing fruit. But there's another element here of action. We go. In fact, if you look at our mission statement that Nate read out earlier, you can see that in the last bit, we have an active hope for Northwest Auckland and beyond. It's not a passive hope, it's an active hope. None of this, none of the verse, you can throw the verse back up now, none of that verse means anything really to the world around us without that word go. In fact, I don't think it's even an exaggeration to say that the entirety of Christianity, the entirety of Christian history 
pivots on this word go. Think about this. Consider what would happen if Peter and the disciples didn't go. Think about what would happen if on the, this Feast of Pentecost and, and all of these people from around the world are gathered together and God says, go and tell people about Jesus. Peter, get outside, start talking. And he says, are you kidding me? The religious leaders want me dead, I think, and everybody's against me. I'm not gone, I'm staying right here. And he didn't go out and he didn't speak. And those visitors from Rome, they came in to their Jewish festival and then they left and nothing changed. They went back to Rome and stayed Jews and knew nothing of who Jesus was. No churches would start in, in Rome. There would not be the circulating message of who Jesus was. Constantine, maybe he had the dream still, but he has no frame of reference for that. He has no way of making that stick. He doesn't know what to do with this Jesus guy. He's never heard of him. So maybe he has a vision. Maybe he puts the symbol on his shields. But there's no growth, no spiritual movement that happens in Rome. His armies would go out into Europe and they would conquer, but they would conquer without sharing anything of who Jesus was. So instead of planting churches throughout Europe and England, they would be building temples to, to Jupiter and to the Roman gods. Patrick would have grown up not in a Christian home, but in a pagan home. Who knows who he would be worshipping, if anyone. He gets kidnapped, taken to Ireland. He escapes, he comes home. You think he's going back to Ireland? I don't think so. There's no way he's going back. He's not going to share Jesus. He doesn't know to, to these people in Ireland. Or even if he did know, if he chose at that point, no way am I heading back to Ireland then the church does not thrive. It doesn't grow in Ireland. There are no churches built. There are no monasteries built. And Columba grows up not knowing, not being educated on who Jesus is. I'm guessing he probably still gets into fights and battles, but without the guilt, without this impetus to go and share Jesus in Scotland. So he never goes to Scotland. It's cold. Why would you go there? You know? And the church doesn't start sprouting in Scotland. And so... There is no faith passed down from generation to generation in that country. And so James Gebby, as he's getting ready to take his young family across the world, he has no frame of reference for who God is. He does not bring faith with him. And so he comes to New Zealand. He has his family. They do their best. Ralph Gebby grows up in a home not knowing who Jesus is. He's not going to go to Bible college in the States. He's not going to start a church in Christchurch. And he's not going to pass down his faith to his daughter who would then grow up and not pass down her faith to a little boy named Michael, who would grow up and have a son named Hamish and would not share an in instance of who Jesus is, he wouldn't know. So where's my story without the word go? Without that stepping out? Would I be here? Would you? Does your story have any foundation without the word go. I challenge you that it doesn't. Go is the most important word here. So let me ask you this. How many stories, how many papa genealogies, spiritual lineages in generations from now, how many of them are going to rely on the story of you and I 
taking this word go and making it reality in our lives. How many amazing stories of faith will wind through this moment right here, this day right now, our lives, our decisions. When we decide to go, when we decide to go and produce fruit, we are producing a legacy that just like roots, just like lightning kind of fans out into hundreds, thousands, possibly millions of stories of faith throughout the future. But we have to decide to go. So let's go. Let's be a church of doing. Let's be a church of people who say, yes, I have this story of hope. I have this faith that has been given to me, that has been invested in me. And now I know what my future holds, what my eternal future holds. I have hope of being part of a loving, caring family and a loving, caring community. I'm going to take that and I'm going to share that because, man, people have got to know about this. Let us be a church that has an active hope for the community and for the world. Maybe that simply means opening ourselves up to the people around us, to our families, to our kids, to our co-workers, to our schoolmates, to the people that we live around, that we work around, that we have already invested our lives into. Maybe it just means taking those relationships and forming them into a relationship that guides them towards the family of God. We can help each other figure out how to do that. Maybe it means being a little bit more out into the community. Maybe it means finding a place where the love of God needs to be shown through practical help, through spiritual help, through emotional help, so that people will understand that God loves them. Maybe that's what we do. Maybe it even means going somewhere else in the world, far away on a dangerous, um, unknown adventure to share God with people. Maybe that's what it means. Whatever it means, it starts with our decision to say, yeah, I will go. And I think it also begins with understanding the way that God has created us. <clears throat> the giftings, the, the skills, the passions, the interests, even the stories that we've brought to this moment now, the good and the bad. God has given all of that to us so that we are uniquely placed to be able to share in our own unique way. And so we need to understand ourselves and help each other understand each other. That's why we're doing the survey. It may seem like a pain in the neck to have to do a survey, but this is part of understanding each other and understanding ourselves so that we can help you as leaders. This is what our job is, not to do all of this work, but to help guide and encourage you to be placed in the community in a way that is truly impactful and meaningful, to bear lasting fruit. So please, if you haven't, if you haven't had the link, there the QR codes up here. We can give it to you later as well. Please fill that out just to help process that for yourself even. Or if you want a one-on-one -on -one conversation, yeah, let us know. We will do that. We'd love to take you out for coffee, talk through what God's doing in your life. But it all begins with go.